What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Teaching and Coaching Podcast. This is our learning laboratory. Here, we break down all matters related to teaching and coaching. We interview teachers, we interview coaches, and anybody that performs these tasks in their profession or life. Why? Because teaching and coaching is everywhere, guys. You may not know it, but you are a teacher, you are a coach, and you don't even know it. So by the end of this episode or any episode, we hope that you can take some of the wisdom of our guests and apply it to your life to become a better teacher and a better coach. So speaking of coaching, we're brought to you by Integral Hockey Stick Repair in Boston. They're located in Quincy, serving Boston Metro, South Shore, and Cape Cod. They offer shaft and blade repair services to players and parents of huge savings. They also offer refurbished pro stock sticks. They prevent broken sticks from being tossed into landfills while saving players and parents up to 70% versus buying a new stick. All the repairs come with a lifetime warranty. They use the most technologically advanced patent hollow carbon fiber repair system to maintain the integrity strength flex kick point balance and weight of the stick we're proud to offer a high-tech environmentally friendly solutions while making hockey more affordable this business is locally owned and operated by joe bartell we are proud to support integral hockey stick repair in boston okay that's a mouthful that being said let's get to the show guys we hope you enjoy see ya Did you polish your head for the show today? I I worked the lights so they shine a little better. Oh, okay, gotcha. I mean, it's like the lights angles. I mean, that, that's like a glare, dude. I can see it. Yeah, how's, is it better? Maybe. Yeah, you can put some sunglasses on if you need. Yeah. To. <laughs> I might have to. Yeah. I can actually see like the three bulbs of the uh, of the light fixture above you shining off your see, forehead. Yeah, right. I clocked my head on the, <laughs> the other day. What did you do? I was in the basement. I have two beams that kind of kind of lower and uh i guess i thought i was shorter than i really am or something and uh it's smacked it pretty pretty good so I had a couple swears come out yeah you just said oh oh sugar yeah oh, shut the front door like stuff like that yeah gotcha oh yeah that's a pretty good uh dig there that's about a week ago you're gonna get that stitched up no but uh that's i'll, I'll be okay it makes shaving the head. I a couple hairs still come out that area, so I got a I got a te- new technique to shave around it. Well, people will think you're really tough too. Ah, that's what I'm going for. You know, what kind of story do you think that you'll tell? Uh, I've been just telling the truth. Like, I'm not too creative about that one. It's a, t- it's a tough one to. You're not gonna You're not gonna say that you know you were like uh, you know breaking up a bar fight or something like that, and somebody bottled you or anything like that. I, I'm gonna work on that. I'm gonna try. I'll try that out later. <laughs> Yeah. Back to your next next show. Yeah. I, I mean, if you have an embarrassing injury, you always gotta have a cover story, right? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll, I'll come up with them next week and I'll tell you how it goes. How's so everything going with you? Can't complain. You know, can't complain. Just working on the show, doing a lot of promotions, doing a lot of been on the ice a lot, uh, with the Seahawks and uh just working with them. It's yeah. a great great organization. They do a really, really good job down there um on the cape so it's nice to i was just gonna say it's really nice to see like i appreciate it when any coach is willing to talk with me about potentially improving their practice and such and you know i'm no expert i'm just kind of a hockey nerd and i know enough to be able to teach it so i try to come at him with that that angle like hey look i'm not you know like the consultants from office space here like Uh, what what would you say you do here well, look, I already told you, I deal with the goddamn customers so the engineers don't have to. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand that? What the hell is wrong with you people? 
coming yeah. in and saying like, oh, do this and do this because I'm the guru. It's like, nah, I don't know any more than they do, but yeah, we just, you know, I care about helping people out. And, you know, if there's a way that, that we can improve a practice or add to a drill, uh, et cetera, et cetera, then we have those conversations. And I, I think kind of like any podcast, right? I mean, you talk, you talk shop long enough and you get to some pretty interesting conclusions and you learn something. And yeah. I, I really like that. I like doing that a lot. Yeah. That's a, a great organization. I work with some of the players uh, with their, their sticks and stuff, but I got to check out one of their games last week and uh, it was a great back and forth. Unfortunately they didn't win, but they, uh, you know, there was, it was a great game to watch. Was that the, uh, the 08 team, the, the EHL team? Oh, sorry. Sorry. The EHL team. I meant. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. They, uh, they got some, the nice team, uh, good team just all the players and everyone's friendly uh they got a good energy down there no they do they really really do i mean like those guys they uh like when we do goalie skills for the youth players in the seahawks right the junior players come out and i I just i appreciate the heck out of that because it's a thrill you think about if you're like a 10 year old kid doing goalie skills and you see this giant you know 21 year old come out like showing you how to do it that's pretty cool you know we do small area games to teach edge work or whatever it is that we're doing And, um, and they get right in there. Like we were just playing soccer the other night on the ice. And there was like, you know, four, four or five guys from the junior team, just jumping right in, having fun, laughing, yucking it up. And you know, that I couldn't ask her anything more. Seriously. I love soccer on the ice. I I used to play when Mexico used to play all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we, we also played handball and I even for some, uh, recreational groups, we would play, uh, capture the flag, which was fun too. Dude, capture, capture flag is epic. It was like, you'd have like the strategy and like, you got to like sprint and rescue people from the jail and stuff. That was a lot of fun. Dude, like summer camp. That was, I mean, that was like a big deal. Yeah. You know, you're like 14 years old and the evening activity is, is capture the flag. Oh my God. I mean, at that time people thought that they were like in special force, like, okay, you yeah. go here, zig this way, zag left or whatever, create a diversion, do a somersault over here. And looking, <laughs> looking back on it, it's just like, what were we doing? <laughs> it, it, it's on the ice. It's pretty fun. Cause you, you can have a guy trapped if he's like quick, you, like you're using your skills and stuff. And uh, we, I, introduced it with recreational groups like learn to skate and learn like learn to play hockey and then as some of those kids got older with the older groups like every once in a while like hey can we play that i'm like yeah let's let's play it was fun that's a really good idea i never i i never thought of that being an on ice activity yeah because i mean they they communicate and teamwork and it's like you you have to try to lure someone in to get the other guy in and then rescue people from the jail okay i like that it's a lot of fun. That's dude. Seriously, you got to show that to me sometime. How you set it up. So what do you, what do you do? Like you divide. Um, well, yeah, you, the red line is the 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 center line, right? Yeah. So if you get tagged, the other thing, if and on the opposite side, then you go to jail. So we would have a jail with cones in the corner and a and the flag in the other corner, or mix it up, or a flag behind the net. You, you can put the flag anywhere you want, and you know, put cones in it. The guard, the guard can't go inside the cones of the the area of the flag whoever's guarding it has to be able to skate and be quick and kind of move on all sides could you do that with um like we usually just do goalie skills or a practice from um from the blue line in right could you do it that way yeah i mean i mean uh, i would use larger ice the more people you have but if it's a smaller group yeah totally use a small smaller air surface area that's a lot of fun, dude. I mean, I mean, you would clearly be working, you'd get a lot of edge work in doing that, right? Because you're just, you're always trying to, you know, shuck and jive out of the way sort of thing. Yeah, but, it's uh, a lot of shucking and jiving. Zigging yeah, and yeah, totally, totally. But then, you know, 
it's good uh it's good creative problem solving too you know and and the kids they're having fun but they actually they don't realize they're working together and communicating like doing some strategery strategery yeah that's a george bush word i was gonna say that uh that 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 is definitely a bushism so anyway well i'm i'm kind of curious to hear actually today ben rosen comes on if he's got any kind of small area games that uh that he does i mean you and i are talking hockey and i'm sure you could do this with soccer and such but you know one of the things um that i'm really curious about with him being a wrestling coach is like all right is there a way you can kind of gamify practices and such and uh you know or is it just a completely different animal you know yeah I, I love those uh exercises or games you play in sports but they're not technically uh, like associated with your sport so like in rugby in, in the they, you you do them in a way to kind of break the ice the tension and just let people relax but have a good time in uh rugby we used to play soccer with a rugby ball so the ball's just bouncing everywhere so you know like no matter how good you are you're just kind of dealing with it so it's a, it's a lot funner it breaks up the tension and stress for sure for sure yeah like that's a good it's a good introductory activity let's get to it eh? let's uh let's bring ben on ben you get your cup of coffee there dude i'm, yeah. I'm ready to go all right well look let me give you a nice formal introduction uh we have on the show today uh, from the great state of Wisconsin, Ben Rosen, who is the head wrestling coach at Lakeland University. How you doing, man? You said you got some snow out there? Oh, yeah. Having a good old morning, a good cup of coffee, a nice talk about, about what we love to do. I mean, what, what could be better? Yeah, I hear you, dude. I hear you. Um, I, I, I did want to ask you about that, actually, because like we're here we are talking about capture the flag and, and fun games to teach the game, if you will. Do you do any stuff like that with, uh, with your wrestlers? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, wrestling warmups and especially our wrestling warmups are notoriously like pretty tough and we like them to be pretty tough when we run warmups, you know, usually we like them to be like our warmup is as tough as most other teams practices. And there's many reasons for that to break good sweats. And there's just a lot of gymnastics and things we want to get going before we get into technical stuff, but those can be really tough and not fun. Um, so we like to break it up a lot. So the games that we like to do, um, spike ball is a huge one. Nice. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watched or played it, but you know it's yep. meant to be played on grass. Um, there is no better place to play it than on a mat with wrestling shoes because you can just completely lay out for everything and you get a really great sweat going. Um, it builds some of the coordination that wrestlers have a tendency to lack. Wrestlers are notoriously very athletic. They can run very fast. They may be able to jump high or whatever, but usually not great with ball skills and catching things. And we like to kind of add that stuff in. Uh, we play a lot of handball. Um, we used to play at another program I was at play, like play basketball, but it's always like wrestler style. Um, so, you know, always a lot of like tackling or, you know, the rule is with handball is, you know, you get the ball, you get like three steps or whatever. But if you get, if you get brought to the mat, it's a turnover it's kind of, I guess that's kind of like rugby, but you can't, go below the waist because we don't want to get people injured. So we're also pretty weary of that, but that's usually really, really fun. I know like university of Michigan plays soccer, which uh, I kind of want to do just because again, I'm a little, I'm a little worried about, I'm going to feel really bad if someone gets injured in a warm up game. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta be careful about that, but they love the games. They always want it, which is a nice thing because then we can go, okay, we had a great practice. You know, let's, let's hit the game or it's like, okay, we kind of messed up and consequence wise, I don't, I really never want to give them consequences that are like go run a mile because I don't want to associate running and working hard with, with, uh, with negativity. So I'd rather take away something they really like, like a game or maybe music or something along those lines. So we do that. And 
I also try to gamify drills um, because there are a lot of guys who, you know, their focus just heightens all of a sudden when there's a game, when there's points involved. So if I can do anything to do that, I like to do that as much as I can. Yeah, those are those are some those are some big ones. Handball this year, it's handball and spike ball. That's that's the ones we're trying to do. I I, I honestly wonder if there is something hardwired into into us as humans to compete because the same thing happens with um, whether I'm teaching sixth grade or high school kids or coaching little kids in, in my classroom. Sometimes I'll do in homeroom. I'll just do, you know, fun trivia, right. Do stuff about like the States and capitals or history of a given state or do like movie trivia. And as soon as I tell the kids like, Hey, I'll give uh, you know, a couple extra credit points to like the winner here. They all perk up. And a lot of times, Homeroom, it's early. They can be a little bit dull. They're half asleep. But as soon as we get like, hey, you guys want to do trivia? They're like, oh, yeah. Like, you can see them all on your screen. They get into it. It, it, is, it is unreal because, like, you don't even have to give rewards. Like, relay races. Relay races work from kids club, five-year-olds. And now I got 21-year-olds doing, like, you know, somersaults down the road or bear crawls down the road. And they are hustling because they want to win. And they're not winning anything. You know, I don't, I'm not putting down a t-shirt online or something like that, but relay races work so well. It's so, it cracks me up because, because it's the trick for, because it's the trick for kids club and it works for college kids too. So they love to compete for sure, for sure. But it's, it's tough too, because I don't want as much as that. I know that that competition is there. I want them to be able to just focus on their craft at the same time without that need to compete is, is the only way for them to progress and stay focused and work hard. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag and I don't want to do it constantly because I could make a practice that is just purely competition, but that's not really what I'm looking to do at the same time. I was going to say something. I just thinking about this conversation, relay races, like I just didn't realize how much fun they are, but it's interesting how motivated people get because you get a break, but uh, at the same time you're, you're competing against someone else, but you're in front of everyone. All the eyes are on you. So you don't want to mess up or, yeah, if we can, and that's the other thing is if we can get them to, one thing we try to do is try to get them in like competition-like circumstances so that we want to start getting them used to those, the butterflies, the heart pounding, all those nervousness that that comes with, with, with wrestling and sport. Um, but especially wrestling, because it's a very short, it's a very short match. It's a seven minute match in college, seven minutes plus. Um, there's a lot of warming up and there's a, so much anxiety and I don't know about hockey. I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety, but it's a longer game. So you probably get into the flow of it maybe a little more. And maybe one small mistake doesn't rattle you quite as much. Um, I don't actually know that. But in wrestling, it's such a huge problem. So we want to get them feeling that as much as possible so that when we teach them tactics to kind of deal with it, that they can get that practice so that, you know, when they get out there and they start feeling butterflies, they don't freak the hell out because they've never felt it before or they only feel it eight times a year before, before at events, before matches. So trying to kind of instill that as early as possible. How do you, how exactly do you go about instilling that? Okay. So, you know, one is just, so we'll do like match days is, is something that we look to do. And match days are beforehand. We'll be like, tomorrow is a match day. You will have three matches, um, you know, go about your day and prepare for it like it's a match. You know, we're going to have weigh-ins. They're not scratch weigh-ins. Scratch weigh-ins means you have to weigh in at your weight class. If I'm a 125 pounder, that scratch weight would be 125. Let's say it's a, we'll say it's a five pound allowance, but we're all weighing in. We're doing a weigh-in. We're doing it like match. Um, you're wrestling in singlets. 
Um, you know, your warm-up's going to be the same as what we normally do. Um, you know, we're going to have referees. You're not real. We're not bringing in referees, but we'll do referees and we'll be very serious about it. And again, it's just like, let's create that energy in the room um, as much as we can. Um, and then from there, you know, hopefully those butterflies start coming and then we can kind of deal with how to deal with those things. Do you, do you ever invite uh, fans into those or no? Or like well, friends, um, friends, of the, friends of the program? You know, uh, we, I used to, in college, we used to, when I was in college, we would have one day like that where it was, uh, it was homecoming and it was like everybody, you know, the parents, it's a parent's day, but we haven't done that yet, but that's a good idea. Um, if we can just bring anybody to watch, because that definitely puts a huge different spin on it. Um, yeah. That social pressure all of a sudden creates a totally different um, variable that is very, very powerful. So no, I haven't, but that's a really good idea. It's interesting, the, um, the aspect of the amount of like energy buildup for wrestling compared to like we were saying hockey, hockey, we maybe had it, but it's more of a team sport in the sense while you're performing, you know, wrestling's a team mm -hmm. sport, but when you're competing, it's just you. So all the eyes yeah. are on you and hockey, we can make, we make every mistake everyone makes mistakes, but with your team, it gets covered up and it's not a big mm -hmm. deal, you know, but with wrestling, it's all the pressures on all their eyes are on you. Yeah. yeah. And it's why a lot of kids come to the sport because they're frustrated with their buddy messing up. Yeah. But at the same time you get out there and yeah, when you go out there and you don't get your hand raised, it does not feel good. And there's no blame really to lay on anybody else. And uh, it's, it's a really hard thing to deal with. And obviously they're competitive kids. So yeah, that, that, that tension is, is really hard. And, you know, we talk all the time and about practice room wrestlers, you know, the guys who are great in the practice room and then they compete and they just don't have the pop. They don't have the fire, you know, for whatever reason. And it's, it's really prevalent and trying to get them past that is probably one of the hardest things we do as coaches. I think that maybe that's why we, we try to gamify everything. I was asking myself that as we're talking about all these different fun ways, because it seems like the, the biggest frustration a lot of coaches have is just that, that you can have this great practice and you see all the things that you want, but you get into a game environment, regardless of the sport. And it doesn't translate that, mm -hmm. you know, do you, do you find, do you find yourself being equally frustrated with those scenarios? Oh, oh for sure. Oh, for sure. And it's like, it's something that I can totally relate to because I was a practice room wrestler. I was notorious for that. I could beat anybody and I'd go out there flat footed and there'd be some pud who would, uh, who, who would take me down the first period. My coaches would go, oh, my God, what is he doing? And so I can totally relate to it as well. And, yeah, it, it's, a huge, it's a huge monster to tackle. And I don't think there's anybody in the world who's figured it out. And, you know, wrestlers or people love to go like, that guy's a head case. Um, you know, that's the, that's the word for it. He's a head case. And it's like, and in my mind, I'm like, I feel like everybody's a head case except the, the Olympic champion. Right. Now, everybody who loses is going to say, I could have done it if I was there, if I would, was at a hundred percent. So, you know, it's something that everybody is dealing with, but I think that in that pre-match anxiety is really one of the biggest things that we're dealing with trying to keep people, maybe, you know, maybe it's as we're going to the meet, you know, let's keep your mind off the match. You know, let's not fry your brain. You know, we're waking, you know, yesterday, you know, I had them here. They had to be here at 8 AM. Wayans are at 11 wrestling's at noon if you're if you are if your mind is on the match from eight to noon and you're and you're not even wrestling at noon you're just gonna fry yourself it, it's too much anxiety so we try to keep it 
you know, try to keep it light before matches, um, pre-match, and, and don't think about your match too much until you really need to, until you really need to get yourself to, to whatever arousal level you really need. Let's make do, sure you don't waste your energy. Do you think your experience um, has helped you, your players, with the, like, the mock match day? Or, like, is um, that the mock yeah. matches? Is, have they been doing that for a long time or is that I mean this year is this year's weird and I'm a first year coach so we haven't really done it this year because of COVID and everything but yeah. it definitely helps and you know I have I just have a strategy that I learned that actually my father taught me who is not an athlete um, but he taught me it which is really funny and I figured out in college is that it's really just a your stress and anxiety levels are really more of a perception issue than really actually an issue oh, because right because point. yeah you know, you're, you're, what, what are butterflies? Butterflies are your body's physiological responses is, is blood leaving your stomach. They're, you're taking blood to your stomach, to your muscles, because you're, that's that your physiological flight or fight res response. You know, your heart pounding is your heart pumping more blood to your muscles because fight or flight. And luckily you're about to be in a wrestling match. That's a fight. That is literally a fight. So if we take this perception that our anxiety is stress is, is negative that is dragging us down and we flip that on its head and say hey this is my body's physiological response to prepare myself for war primordial so early it's a positive thing yeah maybe it's not a positive thing if you're taking a test you're about to ask a girl out but for wrestling it's literally the perfect response so you know instead of going oh no i'm nervous you go oh no my body's ready my body's prepping here we go and it really flipped it on its head for me and I've been trying to teach that to them. You know, I actually didn't talk about it before, before this first meet, because I wanted them to feel it in its really earnest way. And then this week, we're going to go back and be like, okay, who felt this energy? You know, how did we deal with it? How do we perceive it? You know, well, here's an idea. Here's what I used to do. Um, you know, you don't have to do it. You can, we can find other ways, but this really worked for me. Now, I want to, I want to talk about this, that, that, is a fascinating point and it's a damn good point by by your old man my gosh i would love to know where he kind of figured that out from but um i was going to ask you if you think that anxiety is more of an issue for uh, your wrestlers than it was for when you were wrestling in college or in high school no I, I guess i would say it's pretty similar um the only the i think the only changing factor would be maybe there's a different social level maybe because you know they feel like they're going to be on film more they're more social media, just more prevalent. But honestly, you know, if the anxiety is an, a seven versus an eight, I don't think it really matters. Only if you think it's negative, is it really going to affect you? But if you flip it on its head, it's all positive. So, um, no, I don't think, I really don't think there's much of a difference, you know, now versus, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever it is. And I actually do know where my dad got it. My dad got it from a, there's a TED talk about this woman, this woman, and I have it, um, who, who there's a study that like stress is only negative if you perceive it to be negative. Um, Love it. And that's the, and that's the idea. And then I added on that, like stress is a physiological response. It's fight or flight. And you're about to get in a fight. It's perfect. Why well, into it? And it's, it's so nuanced too, because it, I mean, there is a difference between like, there's different types of stress, right? You know, I, I would say, Without, I'm not. I'm no expert on it. I wish that our buddy uh, Riley Fitzgerald was here because he could probably yeah, sure. tell us chapter and verse. But um, like, there's uh, eustress, which kind of sounds like what we're talking about. Like, a, it's a healthy response. Like you said, the fight or flight, and then there's I don't know what you call, it, but just stress maybe or anxiety. 
And if that's self-induced, like you're getting yourself riled up or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you put off your training, you put off your homework and like, that's, that's self-inflicted, right? Yeah. That's self-inflicted. And there's a big difference between those two, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk all the time about, you know, it's about your preparation um, and the lifestyle you live and the way that you do things on and off the mat um, are less of a function of making your performance better and more of a function of your confidence in your performance. Because if you do everything right and you go, I'm going to be in condition, I'm ready for this match, I'm, I'm in a good spot. Um, whereas if you're not doing things right, if you were drinking all week or you're making mistakes and, and you're not trying that hard in practice and you're not focused and your weight's off, all those things, you know, then those doubts creep into your head where like, maybe I don't deserve this. And that's for certain athletes. And then there are other athletes who are like, you know, I, I heard someone call them the Cowboys or like, you know, they'll do whatever they want. They'll train however they want. They'll drink all week. They're, they'll do drugs. They don't care. And they'll be like, I'm going to kick your ass anyway. Um, and there's two different athletes and, and, uh, they have their own pluses or minuses, but you know, if you're a more of, I think, I don't want to say intellectual, but you know, higher wound up there, you know, if you're making mistakes and your preparation isn't on point, then uh, that's going to creep into your anxiety and it's going to make you more doubtful of your own performance. That's re- That's so good. Uh, going back to the cowboy thing, by the way, speaking of which, you know, the first example that came into my mind and you're a Chicago guy. So maybe, you know, this was uh, Bob Probert. When he played for oh, them, I don't know. he was, uh, he was considered like the toughest guy in the NHL in like the eighties and, and early nineties played for Detroit and Chicago towards the end of his career. But he was definitely that guy. I mean, he was drinking and drugging and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And, okay. and that was probably <laughs> doing those things, maybe gave him an edge in, in, in a bad, in a bad sort of way, but he was definitely that cowboy prototype, yeah. I think, and, you know, and, and score goals. He could yeah. score too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't, I know guys smoking. I know guys smoking cigarettes before national finals, literally. And it's like, how, how? And he just goes, "I'm gonna kick your ass anyway. I don't care." And we want some of that. That's the hard thing. You want some of that attitude, but at the same time, you want it mixed in with the preparation. But they kind of feel like oil and water at times. Yeah. Damn. That's that's it's tough. That's tough. So I want to talk about like your your journey into this, right? So, uh, you know, obviously Riley introduced us and, you know, he was pretty open, uh, when we had him on the show the other day about, uh, your guys' relationship and how positive it was and seemed like you guys had a really good thing going on. You know, how have you guys been, been working with each other? Riley's the man for sure. Riley, it feels like kind of, I feel like I have like different forces in my life. Most of the coaches in my life, even, you know, on my staff or elsewhere or the other coaches I talk to in the wrestling arena, pull me into, I don't know, old world toughness attitude type of coaching. And uh, sometimes it feels like Riley is like the angel on my shoulder who goes, wait, 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 you know, you don't have to do it that way. You know, you don't have to be that way. And, and to me, uh, and it really came out. I was talking to a recruit and it, and it kind of, I kind of connected some dots where it was like, uh, you know, I've been brought up in, in wrestling rooms that it's always a culture of fear. Um, it's a culture of, you know, everything I do, the reason I do it right is because I don't want to get chewed out by my coach. And I come from wrestling cultures, you know, in wrestling, in wrestling, there's the Iowa style. Iowa is one of the most notorious 
um, wrestling and famous wrestling programs in the country. They're the number one team. Um, basically, the coaching tree from Dan Gable, the you know the biggest icon, so one of the biggest world wrestling guys, is huge. He covers so much of the sport, and I come down from that. Um, that's where my training comes from: high school, college, and it's a call-out culture, which means you know, before matches, the goal. Ben Rosen, you're not doing the right things in front of everybody. And that was the biggest, scariest thing to me in my life. There was nothing I wanted left. So I'd do anything to avoid that, which means doing some of the right things. But at the same time, there's a lot of issues with that. Um, I wasn't truthful about a lot of things. I didn't feel open and I couldn't tell my coach everything, which was hugely limitational for a lot of different reasons. And so I'm really wanting to fight back against that. And that's where kind of Riley comes in where, you know, he, he talks to me a lot about, you know, I, I generally talk to him and I want to say monthly, maybe bi-monthly. It's generally when there's a situation in my room that I want to deal with, or there's a big meeting or there's a big meet or something along those lines where I want to just like have him help pull me in the right direction um, in terms of thinking about the program a little more holistically and authentically and trying to get these guys, you know, whenever, basically my idea is whenever I feel like I just want to scream at my team and just chew them out, that's like, I need to call Riley. I need to talk to Riley um, and talk through this problem and, and the better ways in dealing with it, if that makes sense. So Ben, I have a question for you. So with that approach, you're kind of, it's kind of new to you that you seem to have embraced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like you've, you're enjoying it. And I don't know a lot about wrestling, but I've talked to a lot of people that used to wrestle in high school. Like a lot of sports, I, I've come across a lot of great wrestlers in uh, high school, but they don't want to make that transition to college. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah absolutely. This, this approach you're discussing that you, with, uh, that, with Riley and stuff, do you think if that was introduced in the high schools, it would kind of increase the numbers going from high school to college? 1,000%. I don't know how many amazing wrestlers I know who are way overweight. They never work out. They have terrible eating habits because they associate these things with the biggest negativity of wrestling. You know, they get chewed out and they, you know, when they get in trouble, you know, when they do something wrong, they have to run, they have to, you know, they're getting screamed at and they associate this, they associate exercise with this negativity. So they never want to do it again. They associate food with cutting weight which obviously is terrible. Um, so what happens is when they leave the sport, they hate wrestling, they hate working out, you know, they have a terrible relationship with food and that puts them in a really crummy situation of life. Um, and uh, the other thing is they're only they were only motivated by fear in that coach. So, you know, uh, you know, my coach, you know, if I was only motivated by coach Duro, who was my college coach, you know, he's not here anymore. You know, um, he's not in my ear all the time. And I don't have that. So if I didn't build up any autonomy while I was, uh, if I didn't build up any autonomy as an, a, as a, as an athlete, then when he's gone, he's not in my ear. I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, so a big thing there is, is again, is building that autonomy and teaching them how to be problem solvers. One of the big issues we, we run into is that all our athletes are so used to, you know, if they have an issue, coach Johnny on the spot, answer, answer answer in all situations. What do I eat? Answer. What, you know, what do I do? Answer, you know, in all these situations. And one of the things I do in practice all the time, a true Riley thing, um, bandwidth feedback is when they're like on the verge, like right in the middle of figuring a move out, if they ask me a question, I'm going to fire a question right back at them. I'm going to get them to start 
thinking about what they're doing because they're so brain off. They're so coach knows. Let's just answer. Um, let's just ask him. So I'm big on trying to get them to engage their own cognitive functions so that when they get into a sticky situation, whether on the mat or in life, they can figure it out for themselves. They can build those skills. And I'm in division three wrestling. They're not wrestling the rest of their lives. So they need to figure out these skills one way or another. Um, so that, that's a big part of it. And, you know, if they don't have any of those abilities, they don't have any of those skills. Yeah. They're going to not work out. They're going to hate wrestling. They're going to hate food and they're going to have a really negative uh, connotation with the sport. I wonder if the fact that they're asking so many questions is a byproduct of the world they grow up in. And I, I'm always hesitant to have these conversations because it makes us sound like old fogies or something, but there is something to it. My sister and I were talking about this very same thing. She has six kids, right? And her kids do the same thing to her. And maybe if some of that's a function of age, you know, they come to her and say, mom, mom, you know, Will was doing this. Jonathan was doing this. And she tells him, she's like, look, there's no, there's not going to be a referee in life. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, you have to figure this out on your own. And I think that combined with the fact that these kids spend so much time, we all spend so much time in front of screens, and the internet gives us everything we want, just like that. I I just, it seems more and more like kids or people just treat each other like we're the internet. Like, oh, you're this person, so therefore you can give me what I want right now. So give me that thing, and let's move on. And when you stop and ask him to think about how to solve something, like you said, that same thing happened to me the other day with a goalie. Love this kid, really talented kid. You know, I was surprised that he couldn't identify really what was going well and not so well with him, uh, with his game. It's like, look, man, like you've got all these physical tools, but there's a lot of goalies with good physical tools. It's the ones that are smarter than the others that succeed. You got to start being aware of this stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I generally, whenever anybody brings up like the generation argument, I try to push back super hard because I, I don't you. like it. I think everybody, you know, you know, we hate mumble rap, mumble rap, you know, then, then they hated Jay-Z, then they hated Frank Sinatra, then they hated Beethoven. Like yep. it's been the same argument forever. With that said, the fact that you can Google anything is, is that that's something that is significant. But at the same time, as much as I want to pin that on the kids, it's on the coaches. Stop giving them all the answers. You know, why don't you, you know, make them think about things, make them do things. But, you know, as coaches and teachers, we want results too. And if you want a drill to look good, you're going to tell them exactly what to do. The reality is we talk about this all the time is, you know, I'm going to give you a drill and sometimes it's going to be ugly. You're going to struggle with it. And that's the point. You need to struggle. If everything going smoothly, and it looks beautiful, what the hell are you learning? You know, maybe you're doing a little, and there's time for muscle memory. There's definitely time for that. But at the same time, let's put in some drills and some techniques and some things that are really hard and that you're just going to have to work at it. That there's nothing that you're going to do. You just got to work, work, work and figure it out. And you're going to have to struggle. And you're, not only are you going to have to struggle, you're going to have to be comfortable with struggling. And, you know, and, and you're not going to just punch a wall every single time you mess up a rep. So that's a big thing. And, and, and if you can learn to do that and you can learn to struggle, then hopefully when you get out on the mat and something doesn't go your way, you know, yesterday, you know, and I'm going to talk to my athletes a lot. Um, we competed yesterday and, and one of my kids, he gets taken down and he's, I see him, I see him literally shaking his head. Like, oh, I made a mistake. It's a seven minute match and every second matters. So you, instead of shaking your head, you need to be getting up, you need to get in your feet and get in the next point, get in the next escape and shrugging that thing off. And I think, you know, if he's a good driller, he, he works very hard. He's at the higher level of our team. He's used to getting things right. 
So maybe he need, we need to add something to make him struggle a little more so he gets a little bit more used to it. And that takes time and that's hard. And it's hard as coaches to watch a drill look ugly. That is not fun. Sometimes you got to let them wallow in it. And, you know, I've read a study that was like, you know, if they're getting, if they're acing tests, and this was a, is an academic thing. If they're acing all the tests, they're not learning nearly as much as the kids who are struggling in it because right. they're actually connecting things. Um, and that's what we want. We want them to connect new things. And that's hard. Most kids aren't used to it. It's a real battle for sure. Right. I mean, how can you encourage productive struggle? Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a really, really tricky thing to do. I don't know, but it seems like you've got a, it seems like you've got a pretty good thing going. I know that on the hockey side, we talk about this with, uh, USA hockey clinics all the time. It's so easy as a coach, regardless of sport to, you see a mistake. And then, like you said, like you give them the answers, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, do this X, Y, Z. And you go, oh, what a good coach am I? And you feel good great about it. You feel great about yourself, but did they really learn it? Like, how do yeah. you know, how do you know they learned it? Yeah. Regurgitation isn't learning. Just like, you know, you know, we bitch and moan about the academic system about regurgitation. It's the same thing in wrestling, same thing in sport. If they're just regurgitating what you told them, they're not doing it. You know, just wrestling, just like any sport, there's so much problem solving. There's so much nuance. You cannot cover every wrestling situation in practice in a year. You absolutely cannot. You're never going to do it. You got to give them the tools to figure it out. And so then, then we get into things of teaching concepts and letting them play with it and struggle with it. You know, we were last week, we worked on timing and what I call kind of the rhythm of wrestling. And it's the hardest thing to teach. And it's, they're not used to it. They're used to being able to just pick it up and go. It's something that they really had to work at. And it's something we spent a whole day at. And it's a slower practice. That's the other thing that's really hard. Um, wrestlers need to lose weight every, you know, they, they're counting their, you know, they weigh in before they weigh in after they're expecting, a, they, they perceive the hard, their hard work in how much sweat they, in how many pounds they lost. Flipping that on its head where, you know, how do you work hard on a slow day when you're not going to lose weight? How do you work hard when you're not physically working hard? How do you work hard when it's mental? And when you can figure that kind of stuff out, then we can start translating that mental attitude to academic, to other elements of their life. Again, division three in general, you know, we're trying to make, we're trying to make wrestling a part of their entire life in terms of those mentalities. But if they only know how to work hard physically and not mentally, um, they're never going to be able to translate that to other arenas of their life. Um, that's a really big struggle. And it's something we work really hard at. I, I got to mention this before, uh, before I forget it, there was, I was cleaning. So I was, I was cleaning out my digital files the other day and I found this old video. I saved the link. It was from, it was talking about toughness, right? And what it really is, not just like exactly what you just said, right? Not just like, Oh, working hard, sweating, it was from Duncan Keith, who's longtime defenseman of the Chicago Blackhawks. Even I know that name. Oh, he's a savage. He's one of my favorite players in the NHL. I love the guy. He, and he just embodies so much of what's good. I mean, I should try to bring up the video here. Everyone thinks that toughness is something you're born with. Toughness is a choice. It's putting the right food in your body. It's training when you don't feel like it. It's reading a book instead of turning on the television. Toughness is a choice you have to make over and over again until it becomes a habit. Until it is a part of you, like flesh and bone. Life is going to kick your ass at some point or another. But you decide whether or not you are a victim. When something happens out there, we don't make a big show of it so people feel sorry for us. 
We're not victims. We're playing the game we love and we know it's gonna hurt. In the 2010 playoffs, I took a puck to the face and lost 10 teeth. Was I happy about it? Hell no. But that was no reason to stop playing the game. Toughness is about heart. And the face is a long way from the heart. I mean, he says, look, toughness is a choice. And he gives all the different contexts of toughness. It's, you know, pushing through a shift when you're tired, but it's also, uh, you know, turning off the TV and reading a book instead. Like that's Absolutely. toughness. Yeah. Right. It's, you yeah. know, putting down the junk food or whatever, like that's all toughness. And for some mm -hmm. reason we've associated that word with sweat, physicality, yeah. um, gritting your you know, teeth when your heart injured yeah. and, and just grinding through it anyway, which you is know? like, and half, half of it is like, you know, yes, it takes toughness to grit through an injury. You know, what it takes toughness is to say, Hey, I need a week off and I need to tell coach that I need a week off and coach isn't going to like it. He's, he may not even believe me, but I know I need it and I got to deal with it. You know, there, there, there's this great article about, about toughness and resiliency and kind of how we need to rebrand it is there's so much of the social element to it. And one of the, the, the example he used was like, what's the toughest putt, right? Is it a three foot putt? Is it a, I don't know, is it like a 10 foot putt or is it a 30 foot putt? And right, the three foot putt is a gimme. The 30 foot putt is super hard. And the 10 foot putt is one that you're supposed to make. And I don't know the distances actually. What rea in reality, the hardest putt ends up being that 10 foot one, the one you're expected to make. And that's because that social um, dynamic of it is the really hard thing to deal with. And you have to be able to, the, hard, the hardest thing is being able to, you know, deal with the scoreboard or the result no matter what, and being prideful of the work that you did um, and making sure that you're happy with, with the work that you did, um, no matter what the result is. And it's very hard. Um, these kids look to the scoreboard as the answer. And it's not. If you, you, know, you can lose every match and come back the next year and be really good if you have the mentality that the scoreboard didn't really matter. But if your whole worth is based on that scoreboard, um, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So, you know, I, I see that social dynamic as being one of the hardest things to teach about toughness. Grit and grinding your teeth through injuries and pushing through hard workouts, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to teach. Um, yeah. But being able to go out there and compete when there's eyes on you and you feel that social pressure, I mean, that's the hard part. And that's where that anxiety comes from that we were talking about. Totally, totally. Hey guys, we wanted to take a quick break to thank our sponsor again, Integral Hockey Stick Repair Boston. By now, you know that they save you lots of money on broken sticks. They help you prevent them from being tossed into landfills. They help you uh, from going, oh God, I just broke this $300 stick and what am I going to do now? My parents are going to kill me or I'm going to be out of 300 bucks. Like, that's no fun. Look, guys, all these repairs come with a lifetime warranty. And speaking of lifetime, I can tell you firsthand, they make a great product. I still have a goalie stick from five years ago that has held up exceptionally well. They use the most technologically advanced, I'll say it again, patented hollow carbon fiber repair system to help maintain the integrity, the strength, the flex, the kick point, the balance, and the weight of the stick. And we're proud to be able to offer these high-tech, environmentally friendly solutions while making hockey more affordable. Because let's be honest, guys, this is the greatest game in the world, and it's expensive, and it shouldn't be like that. So we want to do our part. Locally owned and operated by Joe Bartell, we are proud to support Integral Hockey Boston. You can find them on all social media platforms. 
Google Integral Hockey Boston. And now, guys, back to the show. Like you can't white knuckle your way through everything. You just you just can't. And and really, and like you said, I mean, I couldn't agree more. It, it is hard. I mean, it's easy rather uh, to just to just uh, do that part of it. But the more the mental side of things. So you know, you're talking about the scoreboard and the importance of it. And to me, there that's like a direct correlation with a lot of social media because social media, like I mean, it basically it is a scoreboard, right? How many followers, how many likes, all that stuff. That's how, that's how, uh, you know, that's how people communicate. So how do you teach kids not to compare themselves? And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. How do you teach someone not to compare themselves? You know, I think it's, it, it's really a, a, a function of not necessarily teaching. It, it, you need to get those values early. You know, I mean, we, we talk about a constant is progress and not outcomes, but the hardest thing about that, and everyone teaches that, I mean, it's not, it's no news that you don't, you want to avoid the scoreboard and you want to be progress-based or growth-based and not outcome-based. But I think one of the issues that we have is that as much as we say that our actions are, as coaches are the opposite. Um, very quickly, we fall back on our old ways. And when things go wrong, you start pointing at the scoreboard and even more intrinsically, right? You know, yeah, I, let's say I'm growth-based, you know, I'm saying we're all growth-based, but when I walk into my wrestling room, everything on the walls is all, you know, bracket boards and all American boards and all this stuff. And, and you just double back on yourself instantly. If the, if all these kids care about is being an all American, then you're not progress-based. It's, it's clear as day. Um, you're, you are about outcomes. So you have to, it has to be consistent throughout your whole program. And it's so hard because, you know, so much of, you know, my job is based on outcomes. And so you, you have to, I, to me, you have to put it in immediately in your program, in your values. And it has to come through every single time you talk, when you fall and you have to catch yourself when you talk about outcomes and you have to not or if you do, you have to come back and say, hey, I messed up. I'm coach. You know, I make mistakes too. And that's not the way we are. And, you know, I come from the same world that you come from that is a scoreboard. And I mess up too. But, you know, it's got to be a value built into your program. And, but it can't be, it can't just be words on the wall. And that's what I think our issues are is we have programs that have values that are just words on a piece of paper. And they take no value outside of that. They're not brought into the practice room, into the competition arena in any really real meaningful way. And as much as we talk about being growth-based, the moment, the moment the outcomes don't line up with that, we're back to outcomes. And I think that's that's one of our biggest issues. I, there's no magic touch. Quite, it seems like we're kind of, the, the balance is between progress versus results. And you kind of need to have both, which is interesting, depending on the age group, it's kind of borderline like pro participation awards, right? Whereas if you're the younger you are, there's been kind of a lot of negative feed, negative energy towards participation awards. But when you're younger, you're trying to make it more fun for kids to, to enjoy whatever activity it is. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, at uh, point you kind of have to go away from focusing on, uh, I mean, it, it varies for every level. I hear I you. Imagine, but what, what are your thoughts on that? It's, it's not participation. It's getting better. So there, there is something to look at. For sure. There's something to look at. It's not just about showing up to practice as much as, you know, one of our, that our team values is showing up because I think showing up is, is a huge and one of the hardest things to do, but it's not just about showing up. It's about getting better. So let's, let's make sure let's double back on what does progress look like? What does growth look like? That needs to be instilled before we ever 
start practicing and start competing. And then we have to come back and review it. Did we, pro did we make progress? Did we grow based on the things that we talked about earlier? So, you know, it's not about participation, although showing up is, you know, college kids, half the battle is showing up to class, you know, for academics. Do you still work with youth groups? Or you here and there, here and there. Um, you know, uh, I definitely let you know. If, if it wasn't COVID, I'd be popping into the local Sheboygan uh, wrestling room as much as I could. But you know, it's about getting better based upon yourself, and you have to have an understanding of where you're at and where you're going. So yeah, there, I feel like that's the here's our sides, right? We have participation wards, and then we have all I care about is winning. And to yeah. me, the middle ground is how much better am I getting? based on everything. And then you have to also be careful that you're not just looking at a number for getting better, right? You know, just because your mile time went down doesn't mean you're a better athlete. It's, there's more to it than that. So, you know, it's very nuanced um, and it's always a gray area and life is always a gray area. And the moment, the moment that we try to make it black and white, we have to push back against it. nothing is black and white in this world. Everything is gray. And that, that's what's hard about it. We want it to be black and white. It's not. Um, so, um, it makes it fun too. Yeah. Diff different perspectives and, and uh, strategies and seeing them compete against each other. Yeah. It, it yeah. makes games when you have two different styles. I, I kind of enjoy watching two different styles play against each other. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I love, I mean, you know, wrestling like any sport is, you know, it's almost like a rock, paper, scissors battle in, in, in a very simplified way um, that different styles work, work better against uh, different things. And, that's something we deal with in wrestling is I'm an Iowa style wrestler and that's one style. And I may not have an Iowa style wrestler on my team. I may have a Oklahoma state wrestler and I got to be able to coach that guy up as much as I want him to pick up certain things from my style. He needs to be an individual himself. I want to go back to what you guys were just mentioning about participation awards. Cause I think it, it does warrant more discussion. It's easy for us, myself included. I'm going to call myself out. I've been, I'm very quick to say like, Oh, like that, that's nonsense participation awards, but you know, I got them when I was a kid, I got medals and swim, uh, you know, medals and swimming and baseball and stuff like that. So the purpose is, it made me think if the purpose of a participation award is to keep the kids engaged, right? That's, that's worthwhile. But then it kind of begs the question, well, if we need to give an award to get the kids engaged, what are we not doing as coaches? Like, shouldn't we be able to keep them engaged and love the sport without doing that? You know what I'm saying? I hear you. Well, I hear you. so the, like we all, when you look back at, we all received participation awards and depending on what age it was, you know, whether it was a certificate or a small trophy, it was more of acknowledgement rather than saying we were great or we won. I, you know, it's just a question. I don't know. I, I think participation recognition. award. Yeah. I think participation awards are the point that like, look, getting through it and finishing is a worthwhile thing to value. So like, like you know, I'm thinking about this in my wrestling room and, and we've had this discussion uh, already where I don't, want, I don't want an all-American board in my wrestling room because I think it's outcome-based and I think that's not the right thing to value. So one of the things we were thinking about is if you make it through a season, you get to do everything. You, 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 we, we take one of the cement blocks and we write the names of the team who made it through, you know, 2020, 2021 Muskies. You made it through, good job. That's a participation award. For sure. But are you you made it through a Lakeland Muskie wrestling season? That takes unbelievable amounts of resiliency and toughness and all the things that we care about um, just to make it through. That has value. That has value. And saying that you did it and you got through it 
is is valuable. But yeah, I mean, and that's and that's the thing for me is that yes, participation awards, you know, we want we want these kids to win. We want these kids to to do better, and maybe that's not the best value, the best indication of it. But at the same time, doing the damn thing is part is worth is valuable, and I, got, I care about that. I got a question for you guys. What what your thoughts are? So with youth hockey at, at the or whatever youth wrestling or whatever, you think they'd be better off giving the kid like a t-shirt with the, the t- team year on it? So it's like you can wear that around with pride. You're like, no, I was on that team. It's not just some certificate or little trophy yeah. that's going to sit on a mantle and you're like, oh, what was that? And later you're laughing. You're like, but you remember all those memories of what you kind of earned earned and did together. I think, um, you know, it, it- I had the, I had a very very similar thought. I was thinking of how is it a participation award? How is that much different than like the varsity letters I used to give out in high school? It's hey, you were on the team, and so and like you said, Joe, like here's the T-shirt, you were on the team. I guess it is different because it's focused on team. It's like you're a part of this, and you got through this season together. You grew, you progressed, so on and so forth. And it's less individual based. I, I think that's got value, right? Like. I'm not a big awards guy. I tried to get, I, I mean, Ben, I'm right there with you with the outcome-based stuff. I tried to get rid of individual awards like MVP and stuff like that. I couldn't, you know, there's just two, they were too embedded in, in, in the, uh, in, in the program that I was coaching. I think it's just divisive. Yeah. I think it can be really divisive and it sends the wrong message. Right. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm with you, Joe, like a t-shirt, a varsity letter, whatever, something that, that is going to reinforce, you know, the right values, but that maybe is not quite as fluffy as a participation, you know, metal, maybe something like that. I'm just kind of spitballing here. You well, know, let's get at, let's get athletes who, don't who don't want the award if it's first or participation they don't care let's make let's make athletes who you know and I, I don't you know when I was a kid I didn't I didn't like those awards I felt I felt very weird with it and then there were kids who would would win a kids tournament and then they'd or a high school tournament and they'd wear their they'd wear their their first place medal their second place medal all around school the next day and those are different people and and to me I think let's build kids who don't care about the outcome. And that's, again, that's the point. If they care so much about the outcome, so much that they need to participate, they need something, that's not a good sign. And again, it goes back to the coaches. It goes back to the program. Um, It goes back to the parents. If your kid is so hell bent on winning an award or a t-shirt or a letter or something like that, um, I think the values going back are not the best. And And I think if a kid is is it has the right values in terms of growth based and and trying to get better every day and they they care about things outside of an outcome when they get the outcome first second third medal trophy participation award nothing t-shirt they're not going to care and that's part of it and so so you know to me the the participation award is more of us is more of a signal of where we're at in terms of why are we giving kids this rather than the kid itself if that makes sense totally Totally. This is, uh, this is all really good stuff. Really good stuff. I don't think I've ever actually talked this in depth about this very concept here. And I feel like we actually kind of got somewhere with this, but I want to, I want to lighten it up a little bit. Cause I've been dying to ask you this. How do you feel about the movie vision quest? Oh, love it. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, vision quest. I mean, it's a terrible, I mean, the wrestling in it is horrendous. I mean, <laughs> terrible the you know wrestling it's very funny i've had this discussion you know see those like technique critique videos on youtube i, I want to be the wrestler for that because there's a lot of movies of wrestling and a lot of them are very ugly. but vision quest is amazing 
Um, but it's obviously has all the wrong values. You know, the guy's got a sauna suit. All he cares about is cutting weight. You know? <laughs> right. it, it's terrible. It it's terrible. Cool. But, at the, but there's the same time there's the shot of, of shoot going, you know, going up with the log. It's just legendary. And I know oh, all yeah. the to it and I love it so much, but it is not a good movie. One, it's not a good movie. Uh, <laughs> two is it has terrible wrestling in it. Three is it has all the wrong values. I mean, yeah, that's the one thing. It's all the cutting weight stuff. And, and wrestlers love to glorify cutting weight. It is the worst part of our sport. And uh, coaches should be doing without it as much as possible. So, you know. It looks awful. It really it looks so oh, miserable. I mean, it's the, it's the quickest way to hate wrestling. And that's what every wrestler will say. It's the quickest way to hate wrestling. So, you know, wrestling, we talk about this all the time, is wrestling practice is about, is about getting better is at wrestling. It's not about losing weight. And if the, that's my rule for, for, for cutting weight. You can cut as much weight as you want. The moment practice becomes about losing weight and not about getting better at wrestling, you're going up a weight. What, what is the best wrestling movie, Ben, in your opinion? Um, the best wrestling in a movie. Um, or best you know, wrestling movie. Or- the best wrestling. So my favorite, honestly, there's a movie Win Win with Paul Giamatti. Um, it's great. It's a lovely movie and the wrestler the, it's like, you know, wrestling is kind of attached to it. It's not necessarily about wrestling, but the wrestler in the movie was a New Jersey high school state champ. And he's also happens to be a very good actor. So that's pretty impressive. But I would say the best wrestling in a movie with not without like a, a real wrestler in it is, you know, Foxcatcher was really good. There's a, there's about a 30 second scene at the very beginning of the movie where Channing Tatum and Mark Ruffalo are wrestling, drilling. And that's a really hard thing because there's a lot of nuances to how wrestlers drill that they nailed. They did really, really well. I was really impressed. And then there's a sneaky one that's, um, there's a, a John Irving book called, oh you my God. fired up. I love it. Oh, well, I'm just fired up about everything. Um, John Irving book, uh, Robin Williams is in it. What? Is in the movie. Um, John, I don't know if you know John Irving, the great author. He's yeah. a wrestler. Wrestling is like in 80% of his books, just like a little bit. Oh my God. I am, it is just killing me. I can't remember. He, Robin Williams in it. They did a really, there's like a 30 second scene in there where the wrestling was on point. They did a really good job. Yeah, most of the wrestling in almost every movie is terrible. And then most of like the wrestler movies, like the ones that are really built for wrestlers by wrestlers are also not great movies. Um, and I'm not a big fan of those either. I'd rather have a film that has wrestling along with it than a movie about wrestling. But I mean, come on. Go, World According to Garp? World According to Garp. That's it. That's it. Great book too. Okay. But yeah, that's got great. That's one great more follow-up question. Uh, who's your favorite uh, WWE or WWF all-time wrestler? I you know, knew so you were going to ask this. I had this question. I had. <laughs> I was just talking to my assistant coach about this, about like how we, especially when you're originally in wrestling, hated WWE so much because of its connotation with wrestling. But now it's so much fun to watch when I can. My favorite is uh, is The Rock. Is The Rock. Is he did because that's how it started. Is is it doesn't matter what your name is. And he's <laughs> so good, it's so good, and it's so funny because WWE, like as much as people rip on it, like South Park got it right, where it's like it nails what people like about stories and it just exaggerates it. And you see like the heel turns in UFC, and even now wrestling is trying to market itself more as opposed to being like the humble sport. We're trying to get people more cocky and, 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 you know, telling more stories and things like that. And you see people are literally doing heel turns. Like they're actually 
it's turning into WWE emotionally and it's real. So uh, The Rock is definitely my favorite. So when, I, when I was growing up, Bob Backlund was a real wrestler switched over to WWE. <laughs> Is, is he is he well regarded in the? Wrestling? I don't know. I don't know him, but Kurt Angle. I mean, Kurt Angle is a great wrestler. I mean, yeah. He's an Olympian. Hell yeah. I mean, there's a there's a Jacob Casper from Duke. I think is trying to get up there, but there's an issue with wrestlers actually becoming WWE people because wrestlers are humble, and that's kind of the the way yeah. that we're kind of grown up. Again, Iowa style is like, uh, you know, there are a lot of wrestlers who will forget to get their hand raised, like yeah. they'll just run off the mat because. A rest, like especially in a duel, if you have one match, right? The idea is that a warm up and a seven minute match is not enough of a workout. So when they're done with their match, they're going to run off the mat and they're going to finish their workout, which means running sprints or getting on the air diner or doing whatever it is. So they're in a hurry to get off the mat to finish their workout. That's kind of the idea. And so, you know, now you don't even get your hand raised. So now, right now for COVID, you don't get your hand raised and you can't shake hands, which is hilarious. Somebody it's so ridiculous. But what is cool is I just watched the Iowa duel is when the last whistle blows, you can just run off the mat immediately because you have nothing else to do. And it was so cool to just watch these kids. Just, they, they don't get their hand raised. They don't care. They just sprint off the mat and finish their workout with their sprints. Oh my God. That's Hey, hey before uh, before we go any any further, I I found the clip that you were talking about. Of uh, I'm gonna share it right now. Oh shoot! Is it the shoot? Oh, yeah. Yes. 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 Hold on, look. It's my I'm favorite. Get, I'm gonna get this right now. Hold on a second. This is you gonna. This is so <laughs> epic. It is very epic. Yes. Yes. I think this is a big mistake, man. Why can you, you hear that? Bandana. I already that. have that. Feels no. awesome. <laughs> Can you guys hear that? Yeah. Oh yeah. It could be worse. <laughs> they shoot. Careful, Bob. Careful. Awesome sports. Shoot. Yeah. Cameraman zooming in on. Do I know you? Loud and swing, Thompson High. Think you'll make a weight? I don't know. I hope so. I hope so too. That fires me up so hard. It's unreal. That is Stop unreal. It. The other thing I, that's so funny is that Loudon Swain is so much smaller than Shoot, and he's cutting all this weight to make his weight. It's so obvious he's so much smaller. <laughs> but yeah, that scene of like I Princeton wrestling. Princeton wrestling like reenacted it and like line for line like that is that is the scene. Oh Can man! The way? Oh, fires me up. There's Were and you... there's the song. Um. Oh my God. What is the what? Hearts what's on the... fire or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. and uh, man, it's oh, this is killing me. I need to go now. I gotta go to my wrestling playlist. Ah, uh, yeah. That. Uh, oh, my friends, I used to. There was one year where we were just like quoting that movie incessantly. Really? And, uh, That's oh, hilarious. Yeah. yeah, there I think it was like six years ago. I don't know why it came up, just for it came up. Uh I think we were like doing some training regimen or oh, we were doing like a lot of outdoor hiking or something yeah. like that. And we're like, yeah, I want to get logs. I yeah, want to get logs for my guys and do that. I really have been wanting <laughs> to do that for years. Lunatic fringe is the song. Um, but the thing is that my guys, they don't care. They don't really like, it. I don't know. They, oh, there are a bunch of them who haven't seen it, who don't care. And I've tried to show it to guys and they're just like, this movie is so eighties bad. I cannot it's so, watch it. It's so bad, but I love it anyways. Oh, oh so good. The, the other thing. So I was at, uh, 
Um, you, you get these at rock climbing gyms, pegboards. I love pegboards. Those are so cool. For sure. For sure. I mean, I, I, we don't have one in our room. It's such a classic, but you know, pull-ups are, pull-ups are regular for sure. I mean, that's the, you know, to me, the, one of the Kings of upper body strength is pull-ups and, and, and you feel cool doing them. So that helps too. The, um, oh my God, the, uh, rock gyms, they have, um, those guys are unreal. Oh, rock no. climbers are on dude. The finger strength is nuts. Can we talk about that for a second? Like they, they, so they have not just a pegboard, but they have, it's like an inverted pegboard and it's just bars. Right. And it's like, how, like, I tried that once. Like who the hell does this? How do you do this? I am. I remember going to a rock climbing gym when I was in college and like, you know, I'm lean. Um, I'm as lean as I ever was. Um, you know, I can knock out like 40, 50 pull-ups in a, in a go. Jesus. And I walk in and there are these, there's like a 10 year old girl, 12 year old girl who's going inverted, going upside down. And I'm like, she may look so easy. I'm like, oh, I can probably do something like that. And I, no way, not even close. I mean, the, the, what rock climbers do is otherworldly, is truly otherworldly. And they really take, take physical strength to this, like, to this weird dynamic that, you know, no one would ever expect. And it's so freaking impressive. I have so much respect. For every rock climber yeah you, you know how people talk about guys that work in the trades uh or that work for a living and you say like oh look at their hands look at a rock climber they got oh hands you know look at the hands yeah. of a rock climber and you know it you would think that they've worked construction for like 50 years you yeah. know yeah 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 meanwhile i'm supposed to be like some blue collar worker because i'm a wrestler and I, I don't lift weights anymore i never like weightlifting so my hands are like I got white collar hands for sure. So <laughs> people shake my hands like you have some really soft hands, and I'll be like, "Yeah, I do." Probably not a great thing. But, don't, you know. don't tell me that. <laughs> and, but yeah, I, I just like you know, I don't, I haven't grabbed a barbell in years. So, so what's um? I mean, so how did you get? How did you even get involved in, in coaching? And uh, how did you get even get involved? And in, and where do you like? Where do you see the program going for you? Well, I've kind of always been a coach in the way that like in every sport I've ever done I've always been trying to coach my fellow teammates to you know I remember I remember being in club in, in high school and my coach would make fun of me by calling me like coach Rosen shut up like you're not the coach like and but he would say coach Rosen because he just to make fun of me and he, little did he know he was predicting my future so I kind of always knew that I was going to coach in some way, shape or form. But yeah, that it was just kind of always in my blood in that way. I always was dissecting things and, and trying to see what what really is the core to whatever it is. And I think when you start teaching things, you start coaching things, you start going, oh, that's what makes that work. And um, I was never the best wrestler in the world. I was never that, you know, I wasn't a national champ. I wasn't an All-American. So um, I think when you aren't that great at something, you start tinkering at it and seeing why and how it works. So like a legendary wrestler is like Jordan Burroughs right now. He's, he's, you know, probably he's still wrestling. He's probably the best wrestler in American history. You don't ask Jordan Burroughs how he hits his double leg. He doesn't, as much as he knows how to do it, you know, he just goes, me, I double leg, whatever. He just runs his feet and he knows what to do. As opposed to someone who doesn't know what they're doing or who isn't that good at it, they have to dissect it more. And it always makes me think of uh, Moneyball, the book Moneyball, where they talk about how all the hitting coaches weren't that great of hitters themselves, but they become coaches because they start dissecting and seeing what works and what doesn't work and why yes, is that. So totally. that's a big, that's, you know, that's why I see like 
as much as great wrestlers can be great coaches, a lot of times it's very hard for them to understand why a kid doesn't understand the technique because they always got it. And that's why they were qualified all American national champs. That seems, it seems like a universal truth, regardless of the sport. I mean, we, I know Mm -hmm. Joe, you and I have talked on this show about Wayne Gretzky, how, you know, he suffered from that exact same thing. You know, he wasn't, he was an NHL coach with Arizona and didn't last that long. Cause he was like, why can't you do this? You know, it's easy. I could always do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's your first year at, at Lakeland, first of all. Right. Mm-hmm. And where, um, I mean, where do you see, where do you see yourself going with this, uh, with this program? Well, I want to, I really want to stay here for a long time. I really like this area. Um, it's close to my childhood home of, uh, of the North suburbs of Chicago, um, I love Division Three. I love the small college atmosphere. For me, I really want to build this up to fight against the the big D3s of Wisconsin. I don't know if you guys know this or know that much about Division Three, but there's this really weird side-by-side where it's like <clears throat> most Division Three schools are somewhat like Lakeland, you know, like 1,000 to 2,000 kids, rural, small, you know, not amazing facilities, blah, blah, blah. They're all private. Meanwhile, there's the Division Three Wisconsins, which are like, UW Eau Claire, UW Lacrosse, UW Whitewater, UW, you know, Stevens Point, all there's a, there's like 10 of them. They're cheaper to go to. And I remember walking into UW Whitewater as an athlete being like, how is this fair? You know, they have 10,000 kids, they have incredible facilities. Of course they're gonna be good. They're cheaper. You know, how in the world, you know, and it made me so it really made me upset because like it just felt like it just felt like BS. These these guys should be D2, D1s. And to me, like my greatest glory would be that the Muskie, which is also the best ma- mascot of all time, is that we start beating some of these really good teams, you know, um, and that's that that's really what I'm looking at. But, you know, right now it's about it's about building up the roster. It's about creating a culture, especially this first year. Let's create a culture and let them know what the expectations are of this program, how we do things, how we work, all those things so that the next rung of guys, you know, jump right in and know what they're doing and, and are led by the older guys um, as opposed to just being told what to do by me. And then let's just kind of keep building and just keep, you know, hopefully getting some better recruits and, and building up to the point where, you know, we we're beating UW lacrosse. I mean, they're, they're the, they're the ones at the top of the totem pole right now for, Wisconsin schools at least and and I want to beat that I really want to beat those guys how much of what you do is teaching how much of what you do is coaching or in other words like when when are you doing more coaching if we're defining that as like pulling information from the kids you know getting them to use their skill sets and we're defining teaching as you're like saying hey do this then this then this you're you're doing more pushing how does that how does that dynamic play out in what you do well you know here's the other thing is being a division three head coach has has more to do you know coaching or teaching is a small proportion of all the other stuff you got to do right Um, because it's you know it's more like running a small business than anything else where you have you got sales and marketing and production and and administrative work and all that stuff and coaching is the fun and the coaching and teaching parts the fun part that you don't get nearly as much time to do Uh, i would say it's about 50-50 50-50 in terms of, in terms of, you know, an hour of practice, if an hour of practice is probably, maybe it's a little less, um, an hour of practice. And then, you know, the 30 minutes of talking, whether before or after or something like that, um, where I feel like I'm doing more of the teaching element of it. So I guess it'd be about 75, 25, maybe coaching to teaching when I actually am hands-on with the guys. But then again, you know, study hall, there's a lot more, there's, it's teaching and not coaching. And man, that's really hard to say because the distinction between those two is very interesting where coaching feels like right hand, right knee, you know, and teaching feels like teaching feels like, okay, where's our focus and what are we trying to do? 
Okay, I'm trying to put him to his far hip. How am I going to put him to his far hip? What are you trying to do? You know, how does this, you know, uh, we talk all the time about understanding like the web of wrestling. Wrestling technique is like, it's very interesting. Wrestling technique is not that well-defined. Whereas like in judo or uh, most martial arts, like, or, you know, even like chess, it's like everything that's been, everything that's been done is like really well-defined and everybody understands it. Everybody's got the same names for it, all that stuff. Wrestling is very ill-defined and the web of wrestling technique is very deep and complex. I think to me, one of my main jobs is trying to get them to have some perspective of not only the technique that I'm teaching them, but why am I teaching them that? Why they need to know it, even if they're never going to use it. Because a lot of times I'm teaching them technique that they're not actually going to use on the mat, but it's really important to understand someone else's offense so that I can know how to defend it. Or like, what are their points? Because half the time is like, you know, we'll teach offense and defense. And like on offense, I'm trying to keep my head up and my hips in. What are you trying on defense, trying to do on defense? Get their head down and keep their hips away. So teaching them the concepts is, feels more like teaching. And whereas coaching feels more like, right, your hips need to be further in. Um, so, you know, when you start to think of it that way, I think I try to do as much teaching as possible and as little coaching as possible. Got it. Would you think coaching is more like more about making adjustments and perfecting? No. I mean, and it depends on the level, right? At a very high level, you're tweaking very small things of technical things. And so that's a like lot of coaching. The teaching, you're telling them what to do. And then the coaching, you're okay in how to make, do it better? I don't know. Um, I, I think it's way more about concepts and about perspective and understanding what's going on, you know, than, than it is about actually the minutia of physiology or whatever. You know, we talk in wrestling, um, we always talk about like coach's strength. Coach's strength or old man's strength, what they call, is the moment you leave the wrestling room, all of a sudden, and you become a coach and you're not in there as, a, as an athlete, you become so much of a better wrestler. And they call it old man strength or coach's strength, but it has nothing to do with strength and all to do with you understand what your opponent is trying to do better. So you're much more efficient with your emotion and you see their moves three minutes, three miles away and they don't see it. To me, my goal is to give them coaching strength before they ever become a coach. A lot of that is really understanding what, what the wrestling is going on as opposed to being so tunnel visioned and in it. Um, that they don't see it. So I'm trying to pull them away and give them more perspective of a, in any given position, this guy has options A, B, and C. You know, what do I do to close down A and B so that he can go to C, which is his worst option, which is my best defensive option. But that is really, really hard to do because it takes so much time. Wow. You articulated that quite well. Old man strength, as, as we call it, was always something that my friends and I joked with because as we get older, we're like, hey, I wonder when does the old man strength kick in? But it, I, I've never heard it defined in a legitimate way and associated with things like understanding what your opponent is trying to do and that that's what it actually is. And that that kind of makes sense. Like maybe that's the same as saying, oh, you know, this athlete, you know, they're like the wily veteran, right? Yeah. I, what a great message to try to teach the kids you know to like not to not try to out muscle out strength your opponent to be like no no be smarter it's efficiency it's efficiency because my guys will be like how do you have so much energy like how is your shape so good like i'm in worse shape than you i just don't use as much energy i don't you know i know i know i know the moments that i need to put in energy and i know the moments that i can just make you waste your own gas tank because that's the thing wrestling is a lot about gas tank and a lot about conditioning 
And if I can make you waste your time doing things that are really exhausting while I don't do anything, then all of a sudden I get to run around you when you're out of gas and I get to score all my points really easily. And it has nothing to do with strength. It has nothing to do with conditioning. All of it has to do with knowledge and efficiency of your own energy. And that's why you see, I was talking to an old friend of mine. She's a volleyball player and she talks about how Volleyball is a really cool sport and I never knew this. It's one of the only like true lifelong sports because I, I, there's not that much running in it. I think it's not that bad for your knees. Where like people talk about basketball and like you get to 40 or 40 or 50 and everyone's just blown out a knee every five minutes. But volleyball, you get to play for a really, really long age. Um, you know, there, there's leagues of like 70 year olds playing volleyball and they can be pretty dang good. And it's not because they're agile. It's because they know where the ball's going and they just put themselves there really easily. And I think that's a really good analogy to wrestling where it's in probably the hockey if you know where the puck's going you don't have to waste that much energy just chasing it back and forth like this you just go no i know where it's going to be here so i'm going to sit right there and wait for it it is the biggest struggle to try to teach kids how to think like that and i think that's why there's so much more emphasis on the small area games because it's like a mini game like we started off this conversation with talking about capture the flag how can you get how can you make more games make it fun so the kids are making all these decisions, but they don't know it because if you tell them, hey, just you know, we want you to think about where, where to go next and start critically thinking they can't do it or they're not going to yeah. do it like that. But if they're just having fun and uh, getting into something uh, and it's embedded in drill, it's so much more effective. Do you, do you guys more strategery like Joe? and Yeah, strategery. Yes. Yeah. The word of the day, strategery. Do you guys think that athletic programs will start teaching more coaching to younger athletes to help them maybe to kind of address the, what we're talking about right now. So Eric, or you guys, when you were playing your sports, when you're a younger kid, like Eric, you're involved with USA hockey. If you start teaching USA hockey level one coaching to like peewees or, or, or like in wrestling, if there's coaching clinics, do you think they'll start integrating that in youth programs? I think so. And yeah. like you, you would give them that vision and knowledge. We all think we're better now than we were growing up and we're mm-hmm. fatter, slower. Well, one way I try to do that is once we get a decent handle on a piece of technique, I go, okay, Chris, step out and teach the room, show the room what you're doing. And you just see the dots start connecting and understanding. And to me, that's what happens with coaching strength. You step out and you start teaching something. You start looking at it a little bit more objectively and you start saying, that's what makes this work. And that's what you focus on. So let's get them teaching as well. And again, that makes them communicate. That makes them critical think. And that makes them connect the dots of their own moves that they've been doing for years that have been working. But all of a sudden, they understand why it works. There's like a hierarchy of of learning, isn't there? And at the top is teaching. Um, So let's get them there. Let's get them there while they're athletes and not wait until they're technically teachers. But the issue is coaches have the egos where like anything they know has to be taught by me. Right. And they need the responsibility of it. Whereas, you know, you need to step away and be like the results, everything is on you anyway. You're the coach. So, you know, whatever you did, it worked. So totally whether that, whether it was you taught them or they taught themselves, you know, you're going to get the credit. So, yeah. I mean, if the goal is to, to make a better athlete and to teach them things that are going to help them live just a more fulfilling life, because that's really what we're doing. Then, well, then why do we care if it comes from us or not? You know, we're just lifelong learners too. Right. Yeah. And, and we all get our egos involved at some point. It's impossible not to. You're human. Right. You know, all you can do is just be the more you're aware of it, the more you can kind of tell yourself, all right, hey, shut up and just <laughs> you know, just go on from there. Right. Uh, it's hard. Definitely. Oh, it's is. super hard. It's yeah. super hard. I have that tendency. It's like my assistant coach starts teaching them and my assistant coach is unbelievably knowledgeable and is 
it was a higher level wrestler than I am. And sometimes there's this like knicky in the, in the back of my head when he starts teaching them something really good that are like, is he a better coach than me? Are they going to think he's a better coach than me? Oh no, no, no. Just let it go. Like you want them to learn. It's not about you. Step the right. freak back. Amen. Amen. Well, look, Ben, I, I think that's, uh, that's a, that's a good, uh, place to, uh, to end this, that, uh, this was a lot of fun, uh, having you on, man, really that I, I, I love doing the show partially because I feel like every conversation is unpredictable in the best possible way. You just don't know what you're going to end up talking about or learning. I mean, heck we talked about vision quest. So that was pretty fun. And swing comes on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> But really that's was, uh, you've got some great insights. I mean, I was taking notes and such here, just about some of the things you were mentioning about development. That was great. So stick around after uh, we wrap this up and we'll, and we'll keep going here. So I wanted to thank Ben Rosen and Joe Bartel integral hockey for coming on this week, guys, you can uh, check us out on uh, Amazon music, Apple, uh, Apple podcasts, as well as Spotify. And don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, at Teaching and Coaching Podcast. That's at Teaching and Coaching Podcast. And we will see you when we see you guys. Peace out. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Thank you, guys.